0: Richard I's heart, leonine as it was, never truly lay in England. Today it can be found in Normandy, at Rouen Cathedral, where the mummified remains of the organ, removed from his body at death, have collapsed into a pile of greyish-brown powder, mingled together with grains of frankincense, daisy, mint and myrtle, the substances that were used to preserve it. But in the prime of Richard's life, this heart throbbed with a lust for warfare and adventure, which was fulfilled on battlefields from Western France to the plains of the Holy Land. Although Richard was born in Oxford, his mother, Eleanor of Aquitaine, raised him as a prince of the wild French South. He subsequently spent most of his adult life outside England, and tended to return only when he was truly desperate for money. Nevertheless, the absent Lionheart's grand military ambition would have a profound effect on the realm that gave him his crown, and this most un-English of kings would have his own part to play in the history of that most English of documents, Magna Carta. Like many of the boldest young men of the age, Richard I was a crusader. He was crowned less than a week before his thirty-second birthday, by which time he had already taken the cross and promised solemnly to make his armed pilgrimage to Outremer as the Christian lands in the Middle East were then known. The Third Crusade had been called as a response to the fall of Acre and Jerusalem to forces under the great Muslim sultan Saladin. It galvanised princes across Europe, including the French king, Philip Augustus, and the Holy Roman Emperor, Frederick Barbarossa. The King of England, had no intention of being left behind. The son, becoming greater and greater, enlarged the good works of his father, while the bad ones he cut short. Such was the chronicler Roger of Howden's initial assessment of Richard's succession to the English crown. But it's largely a piece of flattery from a writer who had close connections at court and who travelled extensively with the king about the Holy Land. It's true that Richard, like Henry II, promised at his coronation to protect the liberties of the English church and to provide justice to his subjects. However, as Howden reports in a more truthful phrase, once the king was crowned and had taken oaths of allegiance from all his nobles, he put up for sale everything he had. Crusading was a dazzlingly expensive business, and Richard drained his new realm for everything it had as hired ships were loaded with thousands of salted pig carcasses, horseshoes, arrows and other provisions necessary to fight a long war far from home, so the king's leading subjects were exploited by every means available. Castles, offices, lands and lordships were effectively auctioned off in a frenzy of selling before the king set sail. Henry II had designed a slick system of government that could raise money efficiently and operate in the King's absence. Richard drove the machine with single-minded vigour. The pipe rolls of Richard's reign point to 1190 as a year of impressive financial exaction. Pipe rolls were the annual records of royal finances kept by the Exchequer and so-called because the long documents of parchment made from sheepskin were rolled up to form pipe shapes. A special tax known as the Saladin Tithe had been levied across the Plantagenet Empire to help pay for the costs of crusading. This was supplemented with a year of intense royal fundraising through the regular channels of government. Whereas £22,000 was the regular royal income shown on the pipe rolls of Henry II's later years, in 1190 Richard managed to extract £31,089 from his realm a jump of close to 50%. The bulk of this rise came from two sources, the profits of justice and the exploitation of Richard's feudal rights as king. The former included fees charged for access to royal courts via writs, the sale of official positions, including most of England's shrievalties, the office of sheriff, and the confirmation of charters that had previously been granted by Henry II. On top of this... The king imposed heavy feudal levies on his barons in the form of payments they had to make for permission to marry, to inherit or to exercise wardship. over